This is the time of year, isn't it? It's the time of year where we are reminded that we are to be a people who rejoice. A people who are thankful. No doubt, maybe around many of your tables this past week, we didn't do this this year, but there have been years where we go around the table and people have to talk about what they're thankful for. And it's interesting over Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving comes and goes. Uh, Sometimes it keeps giving. (laughs) But it comes and goes and then we head right into this Advent season. This Christmas season. And so I don't know what you all do, but we at our home put up our tree last night and decorated the tree. Fought over cookies. Christmas tradition. Muffins. Casey made muffins. That's right. And then we come in and magically all these decorations are up. It was kind of awesome walking in this morning. And uh, I was the first one here and could tell that things had changed uh, since I was here on Wednesday. It's awesome. This time of year, we typically take a break from our sermon series. And so we'll resume James in, the, in January. Next week, we'll begin some Christmas messages. But I wanted to start this morning about to have a sermon about rejoicing and have a sermon about giving thanks. And the reason that I think this is important for us is because I am aware that there are many of you who are not in the thanksgiving mood. I'm very aware that for some of you, the nostalgia that comes with thanksgiving or Christmas is overwhelmed by the reality of the circumstances that you're in. For some of you, thanksgiving was hard and you're looking down the line to a Christmas that might be hard. There are those among us who have cancer, who aren't feeling well. There are those among us who have had surgeries or need surgeries or are healing from surgeries. There are relational struggles. There are some relational struggles in and among us that are so hard that it's just pulling the heartstrings of our folks. Some of you have some financial issues, some work issues. They're just clouding, clouding your, your view of what this time of year is really all about. And for some of you, if you were really honest, what you would tell me is that it's, it's kind of hard to be thankful this year. Last week, um, we have, if, if you don't know, this is an advertisement for this. It's a wonderful time. Uh, at 9 o'clock in the mornings in the, in the library down the hall, a group of us meet and we pray every Sunday morning. And last week in particular, it was just a special time of prayer. And during that time of prayer, there was one man that was praying and he was praying through some hard things. And as he was praying, he quoted these verses. He, he was praying that I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in from whatever circumstances I am in. And he was praying through some hard times in the very midst of some difficulties. And as soon as we got done praying, I ran down to my study and began to write out an outline for this sermon because I thought it was so important. 
Look at verse 4. Let's go, let's go backwards a little bit in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. And just in case you didn't get it, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. And you may be asking Paul, Paul, even in the hard times, even when life is difficult, we get down to verse 10 and Paul is rejoicing. He's following his own advice. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Why are you rejoicing, Paul? I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity. And then when we go down to verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Paul is rejoicing because this church had given him a gift. In the midst of his affliction, in the midst of his imprisonment, in the midst of this very difficult time, this church had given him this this gift. And we see again in verse 18, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus which you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And if you know the book of Philippians, you know what has happened. Paul is imprisoned, he is in need, And this church at Philippi has come through with a monetary gift and they sent it through their brother, Epaphroditus. So not only did this church send a financial gift, but they sent a man to go and to minister to Paul. And Paul is saying, I am rejoicing. And you may say, well, of course you are, Paul. You just got a lot of money and a guy to take care of you. Of course you're rejoicing. Rejoicing. Some of you were able to come to the men's chili contest that uh, Paul's wife, Jessie, won. Oh, they're not even in here. But that's the truth. (laughs) Great chili. Who knew sweet potatoes in chili? But one of the things that happened when we were there after we you know, got done judging the chilies and all that is that we sat down and Jared led us th- just through this really great time. He asked us two questions. And one of the questions that he asked us was something along the line of, um, hey, is anybody willing to share about how maybe God is at work in your life? And this really interesting thing started happening that's not uncommon as guys started sharing around the room, one of the things that was happening was is that we were sharing, and, and rightfully so, I want you to hear me clear, rightfully so, the guys in the room were sharing about these times where God had really shown up in their lives. And that really what was going on when you stepped back and looked at it was that we were sharing about answered prayer. And we were so thankful to God And really what we were thankful to God for is that he had answered prayer in the way that we wanted him to answer our prayer. And it was so good. I'm so thankful for our elders. One of our elders spoke up and challenged us very sweetly and kindly and very wisely. He leaned in and taught us, you know, this is great. And 
God is good even when our prayers aren't answered the way we want them answered. You believe that this morning? That God is good. God is good and we need to rejoice in the reality that God is good even when life is hard. Even when we struggle. And one of the things that this elder shared, and I was not telling him that I was doing this this morning, and I'm keeping his name anonymous, but those of you who are there know, and some of you this will be the dead giveaway, is that years ago, way before I was here, this elder was facing losing his son who was in the hospital. And I've heard the testimony so many times, I've heard you all share the testimony of the years where this couple let you all into the struggle and we're praising God even in the midst of this difficulty. Our text this morning, as Paul is encouraging this church at Philippi, Paul is doing something like what this elder was doing. Paul was rejoicing, and then he paused and said, No, okay, I want you, I want to be careful here. I want to teach you something. I am thankful for the money and the gift that you've given me, but I want to teach you something here. And there's two things. We're going to emphasize the second one. But the first thing that Paul was doing, notice he says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly, for now at last you have revived your concern for me. And Paul says, oh, I don't want you to take that as, oh, finally. And so he tells them, not that you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity. And then notice that Paul does something else. Thank you for this gift. But don't misunderstand. Verse 11. Not that I speak from want. How many of us can say this? For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. In prison. In need. And Paul is saying, don't get this wrong. My thankfulness, my appeal to you, I am thankful for the gift, I'm thankful for the money, I'm thankful for you sending Epaphroditus, but church, please understand, don't get it wrong. I'm content. If you would have chosen not to send the money, or if you would have chosen not to send Epaphroditus, I would still be giving thanks to God. I would still be rejoicing. Because I'm content. Look at verse 12. He says, I'm content in the circumstances that I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. In all the situations, in hungry, suffering need, prosperity, and filled. Paul is telling us that in the midst of whatever circumstances in which he may find himself, that God is good. And God is at work. 
and that He wants to rejoice. Do you believe this? Do we believe this? Do you experience this? Some of you this morning may even be talking in your head to me saying, wait a minute, Lewis, this is too difficult. You just don't understand. It's hard. I'm going through something that is so difficult in my life that I can't even think about rejoicing. I can't even think about praising. Lewis, I, I may try. I can't even sing when we sing together as a congregation. I've got good news for you. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. One of the most misquoted Bible verses, there is a man and that is here this morning that has um, threatened several times to make a t-shirt that says, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. This verse is taken out of context. It's misquoted. I've misquoted it several times in my life, unfortunately, and it's twisted a lot. When you've heard me say that I was played football on a, uh, in high school on a team that was terrible, and back then we would have chaplains, pastors, youth pastors come in and give halftime speeches, and the two verses that they would give to us was the verses about David and Goliath. I've shared that with you, but this was the other one. You can do all things. Even you can win a football game. Because of Christ who strengthens you. I, I mean, think about how you hear this verse used and you hear this verse taught from pulpits. It may sound silly with a terrible football team. But the way this verse is misused and twisted is basically to say, hey, listen, you can be successful. You can win you can overcome whatever through Christ who strengthens you. But the context tells us that this verse is a little bit different, isn't it? The context tells us that what Paul is saying with this verse is that you can do all things. You can be content in all circumstances because it's Christ that is strengthening you. That's the context. That's what this verse means. And hear me straight. I don't want you to hear me wrong this morning. Is God able to heal Betsy from cancer? Yes. Is God able to heal Hannah's foot? Yes. Is God able to mend relationships that have been torn apart? Yes. Should we pray for those things? Yes. Should we rejoice when He does it? Yes. And how should we react if He doesn't? We still rejoice. God's still good. Paul is teaching us this valuable lesson. The joy of contentment. The joy of contentment. Paul had much to be discontent over. Paul was in prison. We know his life was filled with being shipwrecked, 
from being persecuted, uh, from his friends abandoning him. And as he's writing this, he's, he's in prison. Not only that, but other teachers of the gospel were teaching and preaching out of envy, trying to put him to shame. You know, it must have seemed like he was being attacked from every side. And yet, in the middle of all this, in these difficult circumstances, Paul is saying, I have learned the joy of being content in all things. And the church at Philippi needed this lesson, didn't they? As Paul is writing them, he is warning them of wolves and of false teachers. That the church is is, is holding steady, but is wavering, it seems like, as Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians. People weren't getting along, were they? (laughs) There were hardships. I think Paul is preparing them to suffer, knowing that persecutions were on the way. And even just the reality that their dear brother Epaphroditus, whom they sent to Paul, had almost died and it just caused this heart-wrenching pain. That the church was going through some difficult things and Paul is telling them, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice in all things. Rejoice. You can rejoice because in all things you can be Content. Brothers and sisters, if our theology is such that we only praise and give thanksgiving to God when our prayers are answered the way we want our prayers answered, when the bottom falls out of your life, you're going to be in trouble. When your prayers aren't answered, you're going to be in despair. When things go bad to worse, you're going to run to other things. Can we look to Christ? Can we rejoice? Can we believe that He's good? Can we be content? Can we trust Him? And My, my hope this morning... I hope this morning that as you hear this and as you hear these words from Paul, that in all circumstances you can be content. My prayer is that you want to know how. My prayer is that if you are a believer this morning, that you want to know, Lewis, I know I feel myself as a as the reed in the wind or the ship in the waves being tossed to and fro. And I want to be that steady, content Christian in all things. And I've got bad news for you this morning. Here's the bad news. Verse 12. I have learned the what? Secret. It's a secret. Now here's the good news. For $99.99, you can come tonight and we'll start learning. Just kidding. (laughs) It's not what we're doing here. But isn't it interesting that Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. Now this word content, this was, this was taken from Stoic philosophy. And it means to be detached, to be self-sufficient, to be unaffected. Just kind of going through life with your head up, nose up, unaffected by what goes around. Is that what Paul is 
urging this church to do? No. That's not what Paul was saying. Paul is talking about contentment in a different sort of way. Because look at verse 13 again. And this is where the secret gets unleashed. The secret to being content is that you can do all things through Him. Dependent upon Him. Jesus, who does what? He strengthens me. He strengthens you. The key to contentment is to look to Christ. And Paul has said this all throughout this book. Turn with me over to chapter 1 of this book. And listen to these verses starting in verse 21. You know these verses. I want you to think about Paul's view of Christ. And how this leads to contentment. You can hear it just dripping off these pages. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I don't know which to choose, but I'm hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Somebody who can pray that way, somebody who sees Christ in that way is content. Because what are you going to do to Paul? I heard one pastor talk about how frustrating it must have been to have been the guard in charge of torturing Paul. You beat him to live as Christ. We're going to kill you to die as gain. To have that vision of Christ so so that he can say, I can be content because to live is Christ. It's not about the circumstances of this life. And to die is gain. The vision that Paul has of the greatness of Christ eclipses everything this world has to offer, both good and bad. The prism, the grid that Paul looks through, the way that he looks at the world is through the lens of the sovereignty of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that He is in control and that He reigns and that He is active and that He is beautiful. So that whether it's cancer or loss or heartache, that Christ is at work. And that God has a plan and a purpose And a work. Look at verse 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake. Not only to believe. But also to suffer for his sake. Paul's not done. In chapter 3. Just come some amazing verses. And I'm going to try not to just hover over this too long. But starting in verse 7. Paul had just kind of laid out his, his, his bona fides, right, about who he is and, you know, how great um, of an upbringing that he had and his education and his worldly accomplishments. And then he goes into this. These are familiar verses. And I want to think about this. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Paul's relationship with Christ when he sees Christ, when he looks to Christ, the beauty of Christ, the union with Christ, his fellowship with Christ is so real and so valuable to him that it detaches him from everything else in this, lo- in this world, whether good or bad. It doesn't mean he doesn't feel those emotions. It doesn't mean he doesn't thank God for the gifts that have given to him. It doesn't mean that he doesn't pray to just go ahead and die when things get difficult. But what it may- means is whatever God chooses, whatever circumstance, he can look to Christ. And he can hand it over to him. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. What a view of Christ that in the midst of affliction and persecution and suffering that Paul is saying that I may know him more because of my suffering. In order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained it. Or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself of having laid hold of it yet, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward, reaching to what lies ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. That Paul's vision of what Christ has done for him and the position that he now has because of Christ, that not only in the present is he feeling, is he knowing, is he seeing the beauty of Christ and the fellowship of the sufferings, but he can press on because of the reward and because of the hope that he has. And then in chapter 4. We've read one of these verses and starting in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is what? Near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in the day of Christ Jesus. It reminds me of the parable that Jesus told about the treasure that's found and is buried in the field. And in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has in order to have that treasure. And remember the second parable there in Matthew of the pearl of great price that he sells all that he has so that he may obtain that treasure, that this is what Christ should be to us. And one of the things that I'm reminded of this holiday season 
is how bad that I hate Alzheimer's disease or Alzheimer's disease. I hate it. As I see what it's doing to my mother and how it has wrecked their plans for retirement, it's awful. But, I would have you know, maybe about a month ago, that one of the workers who come into my parents' home, because now they have parents coming into their home to help take care of my mom, that at, at my parents' church they baptize one of those workers. Because here's the reality, is that if you're coming into my parents' home, to help take care of my mother, you're going to hear the gospel. Not the first. Probably, Lord willing, won't be the last. I I, I step back and think about how many people have been affected because in the midst of this tragic disease, they have seen my mom and dad suffer in a way that displays that their hope is not in the reality that this world has what they're hoping for. It's been remarkable to me to see my father suffer. Met my mom in the first grade. They've dated since the fifth grade had plans of how they were going to spend the latter years of their life together, traveling to foreign countries, babysitting for missionaries was what they were wanting to do. They wanted to travel overseas and just go hang out with missionaries, give them money, tell them, go out on the town, we'll watch your kids. It's what they dreamed of. And they never got to fulfill those dreams. And I'm sure my dad never thought that this is how he would spend the latter years of his life. Marriage, losing his wife slowly. But yet, I see him rejoice. Rejoice in all things. Rejoice in the reality that Christ is his Savior. Content. See, there's great news in verse 13. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. It doesn't say that you can do all things if you try hard enough. It doesn't say you can do all things if you just set your attitude right and start walking. No, no, no. You can do all things through Him who gives you strength. When you lean into Him and you rest in His sovereign care... And you see Him for who He is. You can do all things. Now there's another word that I don't want you to miss this morning. Notice in verse 11 and verse 12. There's another word that's here that I think sometimes we skip over. Not that I speak from want. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Knowing how to get along in humble means, I also know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret. 
How do you learn? How do you learn this? <laughs> Today, how can I point you to how this is learned? And I think one of the ways this is learned is by on-the-job training. I think this is kind of what Paul is saying. That in the midst of everything that he's gone through, everything that he's been through, he has learned. He hasn't been abandoned. Christ hasn't left him. In the midst of the hard times, in the midst of the difficulties, what he has found is that what he has come to know, rather whom he has come to know, is faithful. He's there. So as he goes and navigates through these circumstances, he learns about the faithfulness of God, the trustworthiness of God. The joy in the midst of pain, the joy in the midst of heartache, that Christ brings peace and comfort and purpose. Obviously, we learn through this word. When we open up this word and we see the in these pages of who this God is and who his son is and the power of his spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, which indwells us, we learn something great, not about ourselves, but about the God of whom we serve. What shall we say of these things? If God is for us, if God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justified. Who's the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died. Rather, yes, he who was raised, who's at the right hand of God. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, pearl or sword, just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But here's what Paul has learned. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced I have learned that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we have this word where we see this God and His Son and how if you are in Him, how He is for us and how no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we have learned, we need to learn through this word, how we can be content. And not only be content, but we can rejoice. And I think there's another valuable lesson of how we learn in this text this morning. We learn from each other, don't we? We learn from each other. We learn through part of our faith family going through a difficult time with, with a son that they don't think is going to make it. We learn from walking along and being with members of our 
church family whose spouse loses years and years long battle with cancer. We learn on Sunday mornings as we gather together to pray and we hear of a man in in prayer, in need, and how he's going to God and we see and we learn how God is sustaining him. We learn when we see our father wrestling with losing the love of his life. And we learn from friends who send texts like these. Ann Voskamp just shocked my heart into faith. I send it to you and hope that it helps you. On the night when the prodigal sliced open your heart, on the night when your boss betrayed your trust and you lost your job, on the night when that person said words and slammed out the front door, when the toilet stopped flushing, the dog gagged and puked all over the bath mat, when even all your hopes in everyday life seemed to betray you, on the night when it looks like the dawn would never come again, the people of Jesus can still give thanks. Because when Jesus had to fight through the dark staring right into the most impossible situation of the cross, abandoned by his circle of friends who betrayed him, what does Jesus do? Out of the universe of supernatural options at his fingers, what does Jesus determine is the most revolutionary way? On the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks. If Jesus gave thanks in that kind of heartbreak, how can we not give thanks in ours? Now let's have thanksgiving. Can we learn from each other? Let's pray. God, would you do it? Would our vision of your son be so great that we could honestly utter these words? That's what we want. In his name we pray, amen.